Hello everybody. Welcome to the 7th episode of Snippets. I am Dr. Maitri Rao, second year DNB resident at Shankar Netralaya, Chennai. I thank Dr. Meenakshi Madam and Dr. Partho Pratim Datta Majumdar sir for helping me in doing this. We have a small MCQ test. Please do take the test before and after listening to this podcast. Today, I am going to tell you all that you ever need to know about toxoplasmosis. Toxoplasmosis is caused by an obligate intracellular protozoa, Toxoplasma gondii. It can cause asymptomatic infection in immunocompetent but can cause significant disease in congenitally infected infants and immunocompromised patients. The knowledge about the life cycle of the causative parasite helps understand the disease better. So, let me brief you the same in a simple way. Cats are known to be the definitive host from which infection spreads to the intermediate host that include humans, livestock, birds and mice. There are three infectious forms of the parasite, namely the sporozoids contained within the oocyst, that is the parasite eggs, the bradyzoids, which are the tissue cysts, and the active proliferative form, the tachyzoids. The oocysts are excreted in cat's feces, and upon ingestion of these, tachyzoids are released that multiply intracellularly, leading to tissue destruction and inflammation. If the host immunity is good, they get converted to bradyzoids. These have predilection for organs like heart, muscle, neural tissue and retina. This understanding of life cycle makes my job easy in telling you the roots of transmission. Human beings can get infected ingesting soil, water or plant material contaminated with oocysts and also by eating undercooked contaminated meat. Water contamination plays an important role in the transmission of the disease in endemic areas. This apart, transplacental spread of the organism can lead to congenital toxoplasmosis, infection earlier in the pregnancy being more severe and fatal to the newborn. Let me tell you the features with which the patients affected by congenital toxoplasmosis present with. The infant so affected might present with fever, hepatosplenomegaly, epilepsy, etc. On ocular examination, asymptomatic punched out macular cicatricial lesion with a central necrotic zone involving retina, choroid, and vitreous, termed as wagon wheel scar, may be evident. Satellite lesions develop at the borders of old scar. Other features include optic atrophy, microphthalmos, corneal scars, and cataract. So, how does it present in acquired cases? Let me tell you that. Acquired toxoplasmosis in immunocompetent individuals is mostly subclinical, presenting with fever, lymphadenopathy, pharyngitis, with only 20% of the cases manifesting early retinitis. On the contrary, life-threatening conditions like encephalitis, 
intracerebral cyst hepatitis are seen in immunocompromised individuals. In immunocompetent, reactivation at previously inactive cyst-containing scars is more common than new infections. The patients may present with floaters, diminished vision and photophobia. On examination, we may find anterior uveitis which can be granulomatous or non-granulomatous and can be associated with elevated IOP. Toxoplasma retinochoroiditis is unilateral in 72 to 83% of the cases. It occurs from the activation of cyst deposited in or near the retina. Toxoplasma has a strong predilection for the posterior pole, particularly the macular region. Focal necrotizing retinitis is the characteristic lesion which is seen as a grey-white focus of retinal necrosis at the edge of a pre-existing pigmented chorioretinal scar associated with severe vitritis. This gives the headlight in the fog appearance. Vascular involvement may be noted close to the active lesion or in the distant retina and it can present as segmental or diffuse vasculitis. Both phlebitis and arterial involvement are seen. Chiralis arterialitis is the term given to exudates or periarterial clots. Healing in immunocompetent hosts usually occurs spontaneously within 6 to 8 weeks. The healed scar has well-defined pigmented borders around the chorioretinal atrophy and peripheral retinochoroidal scars are the most common ocular finding. Uncommon presentations include serous retinal detachment, punctate outer retinitis, neuroretinitis with papillitis, disc hemorrhages with venous engorgement. I have already told you that toxoplasmosis in immunocompromised patients can be life-threatening. On the similar lines, ocular toxoplasmosis in AIDS is more severe too and can be bilateral, multifocal and not necessarily confined to the posterior pole or adjacent to scars. It usually presents as fulminant punctate outer retinal toxoplasmosis or necrotizing retinitis mimicking viral retinitis with CNS involvement. Unfortunately, these patients need treatment for life. This condition does lead to several complications. Secondary glaucoma is the most common complication of ocular toxoplasmosis. Others include cataract, vitreous hemorrhage, retinal detachment, cystoid macular edema, vascular occlusions, and optic atrophy. So, how do we diagnose it? Diagnosis is clinical and the ancillary investigations include optical coherence tomography, B-scan, fundus fluorescein angiography, and fundus autofluorescence. Toxoplasma infection can be demonstrated by detecting IgM, IgA, IgG antibodies against the parasite in the serum by Sabin-Fellman dye test, which is the gold standard, or ELISA, which is the most common test. Antibody detection and characterization differentiates recently acquired and chronic infection.
IgG shows a fourfold increase that peaks six to eight weeks following infection, decline over the next two years, remain detectable for life. IgM usually appears in the first week after infection, peaks at one month and disappears after nine months. Antibody titers in the serum do not always correlate with ocular disease. Hence, management should be based on clinical diagnosis. Polymerase chain reaction is a rapid and sensitive technique of detecting toxoplasma DNA sequence in aqueous or vitreous samples. Antibody titers are measured in aqueous humor and serum to calculate the Goldman-Whitmer coefficient. It helps compare the level of intraocular antibody production to that of serum. Combination of PCR testing and Goldman-Whitmer coefficient of antibody titers in aqueous or vitreous has high degree of sensitivity and specificity. Let me tell you that most ocular lesions need no treatment if the patient is immunocompetent. So, when do we treat toxoplasmosis? Treatment is validated when the lesion is located in the area of macula, papillomacular bundle or around the optic nerve measuring more than one disc diameter in size any lesion threatening a major vessel in case of severe vitritis, CME, fractional retinal detachment and in an immunocompromised individuals. Current therapies are targeted against trophozoites. Treatment regimen consists of a combination of sulfonamide, non-sulfonamide and systemic steroids and this is called triple therapy or a quadruple therapy that adds clindamycin to the mentioned regimen. The preferred sulfonamide is sulfadiazin at a dose of 1 gram 4 times a day for 4 to 6 weeks. It is known to cause renal stones, allergic reactions and Steven-Johnson syndrome. So, alternate medicines used in cases of sulfur allergy include clindamycin and azithromycin. Pseudomembrane colitis is a potential adverse effect of clindamycin. Pyrimethamine is a non-sulfonamide given at a dose of 100 mg on day 1, 75 mg on day 2, 50 mg on day 3 and 25 mg once daily from day 4 till 4 to 6 weeks. Alternatively, trimethoprim and sulfamethoxazole one tablet twice a day can be used for 6 weeks. Steroids are started 24 to 48 hours after antimicrobial treatment at a dose of 1 mg per kg per day and tapered. Other drugs include spiramycin 2 gram per day in 2 divided doses, atovacone 750 mg every 6 hours for 4 to 6 weeks. Intravitreal clindamycin 1 mg with dexamethasone 400 microgram may be effective in reactivated infections and 2 to 3 injections may be required owing to its shorter half-life. It may be preferred in recurring infection in pregnancy. Routinely, during pregnancy, spiramycin is used. In case of a newborn, pyrimethamine and sulfadiazin are given for one year 
to reduce the frequency of subsequent development of retinochoroidal scars. As I mentioned earlier, immunocompromised individuals should receive long-term prophylaxis till improvement in the immune status even after the resolution of lesions. Anterior uveitis, if present, is treated with the combination of topical steroids and cyclopegics. The complications arising out of the condition are treated accordingly. Although in immunocompetent patients, the disease is self-limiting and doesn't require treatment unless site-threatening, recurrences are common and the mean number of recurrences being 2. That is it and I hope you all understood and found it useful. Now is the time to announce the winners of the last week's question of the week. The winners are Dr. Ruchika and Dr. Pallavi Goel from Shankar Netralia. Congratulations to both of you. And the question for this week is as follows. Name the characteristic appearance of ocular toxoplasmosis as depicted in the given image. You can see the image and answer the question with the help of the link given below. And kindly fill the feedback form and let us know the topics you would want us to speak on. Our next episode of Snippets will be on ocular allergy. Thank you so much for joining us.